You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Have you noticed that over the years, how words change the meaning? Words in different cultures have different meanings. You know, what we think it means, somebody else thinks it differently. I'm very conscious that in our present day, some even of the Bible, what we think it's saying, actually might not be our modern words looking at it in a correct way. So I'd like to just look at two words. And they're coming from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Different translation gives slightly different meanings. But this word substance, it does have a few things that could be added into this verse. It could be a placing or a setting under. It could be a foundation or a substructure underneath it. Or the other word is a support. And I want to put this word support into that verse. Now faith is the support of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And the other word I want to just look at is hope. Is my understanding of hope the same as the biblical understanding of hope? I mean, we'll say, I hope it's going to be fine tomorrow. Oh, I wish it would be really sunny on Saturday. And in a way, our word for hope has become some way no more than a wish. But is that what the Bible means when it uses the word hope? In reality today, wish and hope have become very little difference. Hope is often used to replace the word wish. And its power comes from the desire of the person making it. You know, if there's something you really want, oh, I really want that to happen. I wish that would happen. It's the intensity that comes from what the person is feeling. But in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised in his strength and in his faithfulness. When God says something, we're not wishing it. Something should happen in us that takes it beyond a wish to an expectation. Sadly, I do think sometimes we look at God as a fairy godmother. I've got this wish today, will you answer it? I've got this wish or I've got this hope. It's almost like wish, will you answer it? And I don't think God is a fairy godmother. It's not a wish list for Santa Claus. There's something far more deep in these words that I'm using, this word of hope. If I look at the Greek word, now, all I've done is look up on Google what Greek is. Okay? I can read the word and say what they, it could be translated as, and you can do the same in Hebrew. Anybody can do that. But the Greek word is elpis, and this is what it means, this Greek word for hope that is full in the New Testament. It means expectation, to anticipate, to welcome, to expect what you are sure of, what you're certain of. That is the biblical definition of hope. You're certain of. Not a wish, but a certainty. It always has to have some form of expectation when we're using it in the biblical concept. There should be no doubt in our minds that when we hope in God's promises, we're sure of them. We expect them to be fulfilled. Now, as soon as I say that, I say, well, I hope they will. 
And I've slipped back again into what I understand from the word in the modern language. Hope is not that. Hope is you're sure of it. 100% God says it, God will do it. That kind of hope. So in the concept of Hebrews 11, faith is the support of things hoped for. They're almost as strong as each other. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The support. The foundation of it. And I wonder, faith is as strong as hope. Hope is as strong as faith. Can we have faith without hope? Can we have hope without faith? Because the Bible certainly seems to link these two things together. So to the writer of the Hebrews, hope is the absolute certainty that what he believes is true and what he expects will come to pass. Will. It's not the kind of hope which looks forward with wishful thinking. But it's more than that. It looks forward with utter conviction. I found this little story. In the early days of persecution, they brought a humble Christian before the judges. He told them that nothing they could do could shake him because he believed that if he was true to God, God would be true to him. Do you really think, asked the judge, that the like of you will go to God and his glory? I do not think, said the man. I know. I know. That is a statement of hope. Not I think, but I hope. I know. That is the word. When I was thinking about doing all this, and I had these thoughts in my mind about word hope and what does it mean, I received the CAP newsletter. Perhaps some of you also receive it. It comes, I don't know, every three months, whatever. And in John's opening editorial on the front page, or the second page in, something had caught his eye, touched him. And it started by saying this, but what is hope? Is it crossing your fingers and wishing? And he tells of a pastor and an author called John Piper, and this is what he says, the difference between the everyday definition of hope and the biblical. And this is it. Ordinarily, when we express hope, we are expressing uncertainty. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it's not only expects it to happen, it's confident that it will. There is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. As 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. If one thing is certain, there is no uncertainty in God. And God promises he means what he says. Biblical hope knows, it expects 100% for it to be completed. Faith is the substance, the support of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't know if you've ever looked how many times the word hope is used in the New Testament or the Old. Reams of it. And I just want to share a couple. 1 Corinthians 13, love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. Think of hope now in the biblical understanding of that. Love always hopes. Always expecting the best always anticipating for something that's going to be right to happen. Not a whimsical thought, I hope it'll be all right, but powerful. 
In the light of what I've been saying, I just want to show where I'm going. Faith is the support of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, as I've said. Have you heard of Archimedes' principle? Anybody, any scientist? If a body is wholly or partially immersed in a liquid, it experiences an upthrust equal to the weight of the volume of water displaced. You all knew that, didn't you? You did. I memorized it as a whatever age. Simple principle. Archimedes found it when he jumped in the bath. And he ran down the street saying, Eureka, I found it. Literally what it was, the water's in a bath. Think of it this way. A little boy got his little toy boat, puts it on the bath of water, and it floats, yeah? It floats. You might not be able to measure how much of a little toy boat, but the theory is when you put it in, it pushes down on the water, the water gets displaced, it rises up, and it's what the weight is is equal to the pressure from underneath, so it doesn't sink. Okay? Simple with a little boy's boat. The heaviest ship in the world, pioneering spirit. It's so big that it carries cranes big enough to lift oil rigs out of the sea. Oil rigs. It's so big. It's owned by a company called All Seas Oil Rig Company. And it's laying ocean-going oil pipelines thousands of feet down in the sea. And so it can pick up whole rigs, you've seen the size of them, and move them. It's 420 yards long. That's nearly a quarter of a mile long. It's 136 yards wide. That's nearly three times Olympic-sized swimming pools. It weighs 403,342 tons. When it's loaded, above below the waterline is 20, or nearly 30 yards, which is quite big. It goes down a long way. When it sits on the water, it displaces 900,000 metric tons of water which is equivalent to 300,000 elephants. That's a big way. The vessel's lifting system has two sections at the front. It can lift 48,000 tons. 48,000 tons. At the back, where it drops the pipes and everything, it can lift 25,000 tons. And it cost 2.6 billion euros to build and they're now planning a bigger one. The problem is, there's some places it can't go. Don't come into Torbay. Well, there's places it can go. And the principle stands. No matter what weight is put on top, as long as it's deep enough underneath, it will flow. It will flow. Archimedes' principle. I was praying about to say this, what to say this morning. And as I was thinking about this hope, I had this picture, and I saw this river flowing, and there was a log flowing down the river. Wherever the river went, it carried this log with it. You know, years ago, when they were felling trees up in Canada and that, they'd push them into the rivers, and the rivers would just carry them down. You know, it, it was just something that they used to do. The river was fully supporting this log. And the thought that came to me, hope. Oh, it's just like that log. It's not little. It's not soft. It's big. It's strong. And the river was carrying it. And the thought was, river is like that faith that we talk about. Just like it. 
the river of faith that flows. How many times do we hear of the river of God flowing? So hope, something tangible, strong, not whimsical, but powerful, being carried. The river's big enough of faith to carry our hopes. But just think about a river. Sometimes it meanders, doesn't it? It's not like a canal that goes from A to B. It kind of meanders. Maybe you've had hopes. And sometimes I want to get to there, but actually it seems to be doing this. I was reminded of Amy's words, and I thought it was what she shared from the front about what she'd heard in prayer when she came up a couple of weeks ago. It was amazing. She had this hope, this promise from God that would be fulfilled. Do you remember she saw the book? But there were some pages not written on yet. But the hope was still there as a promise. And sometimes when the river, when we've got a hope floating by faith, sometimes it meanders because God's still doing other work to get us to that place. He's still doing it. Sometimes the river runs so deep it's hardly moving or it doesn't appear to be moving. Well, there's times there when God wants to do something within our own hearts that take us deeper into him and trust and have more faith in him. And this time in natural rivers, when you see them, sometimes it gets shallow. They go through rapids, there's stones in the way. And the danger with things floating, they can get jammed. And I just wondered sometimes when we begin to lose a bit of hope, when there's times when we think it's not going to happen, God, I just need more of your presence, more of your touch. And it's like the rain of the Holy Spirit can raise our faith levels again. And then they float on. Because God's important in what we're doing and thinking. He wants to build us. It's about what happens to us. And then, of course, all this is in accordance with God's purpose and plans. But I think there's another picture that actually what I'm saying about the river and the log, actually, I believe, is in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope, so let me just hope, who anticipate, who welcome, who expect, who are sure and certain, who are confident that what God has promised, God will do. That's what hope means. So those who hope in the Lord will rise as eagles' wings and they will renew their strength and they won't get weary. They won't faint. They will soar as on eagles' wings and they will run. Just imagine what a picture that is. When you, you hope in God, it says it's like you soar on eagle's wings. And what carries the eagle's wings? But the thermals that's rising underneath. Very similar picture, I think. The river and the log, eagles rising and the thermals. Wings of hope, thermals of faith carrying you. But the interesting thing is for the eagle, it's rising above the mountains rising above the barriers and the things that have held back. You're rising above them. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Not hopefully, they will. Because God means what he says. And he says what he means. Now you might say, I, that's not the translation I know. You might say those who wait on the Lord. You might believe that. You might say that. But if you look at what that Hebrew word for wait means, it's called Q-U-A-V-H. So I can't pronounce it. It means this. It does mean to wait. But it means to look for, to hope for, to expect. 
So it's not a passive thing. It's not, I'm waiting, there's an expectancy. There's a hope there. There's a, a looking for. It's the same word almost. And that's why some translations put hope there. And some put wait. But if you don't know what the word wait means, it's almost, it, they're interchangeable almost. And that's why it happens. But there's something in the waiting, in the hoping, and trusting that God means what he says and he says what he means. But you know, when I talk about this river of faith, it isn't just for now. It flows on into eternity. Seamlessly from this life into the next. And it carries our eternal hopes with it. That's what faith does. It carries our eternal hopes into our future. Colossians chapter 1 says this. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up in you for your faith and belief in heaven. Stored up for us in heaven. This hope. Faith and love spring from that. Our hope of where we're going of what our eternal future is going to be. But not whimsically know it. We must know it. We must know it. Faith and love spring from hope. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies when Jesus comes. For this is the hope, and for in this hope we were saved. It's about hope, believing what's going to happen to us, where we're going. John's mentioned a couple of times today about being in eternity for billions of years. During eternity, there is no time. But we need something to help us understand what it might even look like. Paul writing to Titus. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised at the beginning of time. Trusting God's promises. Believing in the hope eternal life. And Peter saying the same things. Therefore, with minds that are all alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. These are our future hopes, the life to come. Hope in Jesus, hope in God, in what he means and what he said and what he's going to do. But there's also a hope for now, not just eternal, but now. We need hope now. And actually, if you read in... Um, Oh, sorry, I've lost that moment. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who was able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask for or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, our greatest hopes, or our greatest dreams, according to his power that is at work within us, and to be him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. He can do more than our greatest hopes could ever imagine. He can carry our greatest hope. No matter how 
big your hope is, God can carry that. And he can do more than we could ever dream, think, imagine, or hope for. Because we have this hope in him. Hope is also an evangelistic thing. Peter tells us, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. If the hope that the Bible talks about really lives in us, people want to know what hope you've got. They want to know, because they will see it emanating out of you. They will come running and say, tell me about the hope you have. And this is what Peter's saying. This is what he's saying. But also, there's a purifying in this hope. 1 John chapter 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Purifies us having this hope in Jesus and what he's done. But also hope gives us personal comfort. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to hurt you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Hope encourages us because God means what he says and God says what he means. Just a couple more readings and then I will be finishing. Colossians chapter 1. I have become the servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The anticipation, the expectation of glory. And just two more readings. Hebrews chapter 6 again. Back to Hebrews. God, in his desire to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of his purpose, intervened and guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. This hope, this confident assurance, we have as an anchor for the soul. It cannot slip and it cannot break no matter what pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple that is the most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. Where Jesus has entered in advance as a forerunner for us having become like the high priest of Melchizedek. It's an anchor. We sing the song, I have an anchor, steadfast and sure. This anchor of hope is actually anchored in the very presence of God with Jesus. 
not a flimsy hope, but a certainty, an absolute certainty. And the last reading, Romans chapter 15. How do we get this hope? Where does it come from? This kind of hope that faith will come and support no matter how big the hope. It's what Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you will abound in love and in hope. And you will overflow with confidence in his promises. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. Faith is the support of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. Father, I pray that you may enlighten our hearts to know the hope which you've called us for. I pray today we would be so filled with that hope of Jesus believing that by the power of your Holy Spirit we will abound in more and more hope, not just wishful thinking, but an expectation that you will live and you will do according to your word for each one of us. And that each one of us would have a certainty of that hope in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that people will see this hope in us, Father. And they will come and ask us, why are you so hopeful? God, I pray you'll help us today through the power of your spirit. And thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you that our hope is found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. That's revealed by your Holy Spirit. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.